don't take this as an insult, but I believe you fall into a little bit of this trap that people have that um, people need to stand up and people don't stand up. They're stood up. Welcome to the Lucas Scrobot Show. I'm Lucas Scrobot, and this is where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Today, we are joined by Tim Kirby, who is a independent journalist, political analyst, American turned Russian uh, YouTube star, radio host, and TV host, Tim Kirby. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show today. It is my pleasure, and thank you for probably one of the best intros that I've ever gotten. Much appreciated. Well, Tim, you probably need to teach um, your fellow journalists how to give better intros then. Uh, maybe. Well, it's not exactly like I do a great job myself. I am definitely one of those people where I'm a bit scatterbrained, so I definitely like to have all that data on a little piece of paper in front of me and pretend like I'm not looking at the piece of paper. Well, But I do my best to uh, do a good job. But you'd be surprised how many people will not ask you uh, questions about like how to pronounce your last name, what you actually are. And very often I get mislabeled about what I'm doing. And uh, that's uh, very unprofessional. Uh, word to the wise journalist. Ask someone who, basically who they are uh, in advance. Uh, you didn't do that, but you did such a good job. That doesn't matter. It was fantastic. Well, you know, it was easy because you're, you actually put your information online when there's not information online, yep. then it's really hard. Now, one of the things that I find fascinating about you is you are an American turned Russian dual citizen. What was kind yeah. of your, before we get into the meat of this episode, what was kind of your, that process there of becoming a dual citizen? Well, yeah, I don't think about information about me. Uh, it was kind of interesting. On uh, the Russian version of Wikipedia, I exist. On the English version, I don't. So you can see where my popularity lies. But why I uh, came here basically was a bit of an ethnic question. A lot of people come for different reasons. Some people are sort of disgruntled or uh, whatever. Mine was just sort of that um, kind of had nothing going on. And all my ancestors came from what at one time, you know, the borders of the Russian Empire around uh, the beginning of World War I, uh, the Eastern Poland, Belarus, Western Ukraine, all that. It was all part of the Russian Empire. And so I kind of wanted to come back home to Eastern Europe uh, to see what it would be like. I was kind of... Um, a little bit, I don't know, disenfranchised uh, by life in America. I'm from uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, go Browns. Uh, I'm from the Rust Belt. And uh, I really didn't see a whole ton of perspective for myself or future. So when you've got absolutely nothing to risk, uh, taking a big risk is a lot easier. Other people are a little bit more uh, gun shy about making those kind of life decisions. Absolutely. I'm, I'm actually half Polish. So I kind mm -hmm. of I kind of resonate with that, uh, that uh, Eastern European kind of um, bent and desire. I kind of have more and more, I am I'm reading stuff about Poland and the history of Poland. I'm kind of drawing back to my, uh, ethnic roots, but speaking of ethnic roots and speaking of geopolitical, uh, happenings in the world, you recently, uh, I recently read an article of yours on strategic culture foundations, and it was about this, these vaccines that are coming out and the growing popularity of vaccine passports. Can you tell us what is happening kind of in the, the, the ether when it comes to this kind of new geopolitical positioning and footing? Well, uh, first, before we get started, I have to say that what I wrote about is a could be scenario. Okay. So basically uh, a lot of times people conflict what I want to happen, what I'm sure will happen with what could happen based on X, Y, Z and so on. Okay. Mm. So we're in that third group. All right. 
Uh, and also, that's one thing you should always be aware of, anyone who's listening right now, that many people who quote uh, write political analytical material, they actually just write what they want to happen and then find facts to support it. I don't do that because I really do not want there to come to be that there will be vaccination passport. There will be a vaccination passport. First off, I think I may have coined that term because I haven't seen it anywhere. Generally, uh, what they're writing about in the media is they want to have some sort of health check or coronavirus uh, vaccination proof that's going to allow you to travel. Uh, we're starting to see that sort of logic be expressed in the media, sometimes positively, mostly positively, but sometimes negatively, that in the future, to travel to countries like um, all of them, <laughs> but especially, I believe, Australia and New Zealand seem really excited about uh, this idea of needing extra paperwork to travel uh, to prove you've had a coronavirus vaccine. Uh, that in the future, you will essentially need extra documents to travel to prove that you're not uh, going to um, uh, spread diseases upon arrival. And that's why I called it a, uh, a, a vaccination passport, because it essentially accomplishes the exact same thing as a passport. A passport allows you to travel because it is proof of citizenship, proof of what you are. But really, the key factor of a passport is citizenship. That's really what it shows. And this would essentially be, be it loose pieces of paper be it something stamped, be it a little book that looks like a passport, be it something digital, that doesn't matter. Its function will be like a passport, only it won't be citizenship as the key factor. It will be your vaccination record. Okay. And, and, and so, that's what the overall, uh, my sort of projection of what could happen in 2021, 2022 is. Now, Tim, you're not the very first person that I've heard talk about this. I've heard my my friends, my Arab friends talk about this. They've they've gone ahead and they've been getting the vaccine vaccinations because they're like, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some sort of digital vaccine passport or requirement. Oh, so they like, oh they've used that term. Okay. Um, okay. So I've heard that term there. I, I've, I know that Qantas is talking about um, needing a vaccination in order to fly on their airlines. So yeah. I, I know, I know there's different kind of terminologies and maybe as you said, you know, passport is just what you're coining it. Um, yeah. it could be a, a digital kind of tracking service. It could be just, you know, a sheet of paper saying that, you know, I, you know, just exactly. like we're doing right now in order for, for me to travel back here to well, yeah. the Middle uh, East. For example, uh, for animals, uh, I believe the animal has to have this sort of um, a set of vaccinations proven on a piece of paper with a translation, but it isn't a little book like a passport. For Correct. Example. Correct. So, so but no. in this, this is obviously it hasn't happened yet. There's rumors that this could happen. Um, right yeah. now, we still don't know the efficacy of uh, how effective these vaccines really are. But one fascinating thing that I found in your article is you started talking about that there are different vaccines that are coming out and it's not, it, Maybe you didn't say this, but I was reading between the lines and seeing, okay, maybe there's more that's going on besides just the goodwill of many nations and superpowers across the globe, but it's actually a geopolitical footing. How is that? How do you see that manifesting and playing out the, these, these, this power struggle between these superpowers? Well, it sort of almost mirrors uh, the space race. It's almost like we're having right now a vaccine race, uh, as especially Russia and the United States were very uh, motivated to get some sort of version of the vaccine out first and get it to people. So this is sort of like the space race where the uh, Soviet Union and the United States uh, wanted to get to space first and then get to the moon. And of course, uh, that uh, was an achievement for all of humanity. Uh, that was a big achievement for science, which affects us all, which is great. But obviously, there were also um, certain 
certain motivations why it was a race to beat the other guy to build a lot of military infrastructure because a lot of the uh, infrastructure related to space travel was also related to winning the Cold War and so on, right? So we may be seeing something like that now, especially because, uh, as we've seen, uh, especially the British media, maybe more than anyone, uh, they have really pushed this idea that, well, you know, the Russian vaccine, it doesn't work or it could be dangerous. It's just, it's bad because it's theirs. Mm. So essentially uh, what could happen, because I understand bureaucracy, technocracy is, well, it's sort of like having a Russian passport. If I go to England with a Russian passport, they don't let me in. If right. I take my American passport there, they do. Okay. <laughs> no questions asked, by the way. Right. Uh, well, sometimes one question is asked at the border. Why are you there? But they, they don't really care about the answer. But so uh, anyways, that's the what we're kind of seeing is that there's no guarantee that because you have the Sputnik V vaccine or some other vaccine, the Ukrainians apparently want to make their own so they don't have to take the Russian one which is very weird. I don't, I don't think they're actually going to do that. I think it's a bit of a bluff. Uh, but it may actually depend what vaccine you have that allows you to go here, there, and anywhere else. Uh, the other sort of bureaucratic question is, does it matter that you have both of them, maybe the Pfizer one and the Russian one and some other one have them all? Or will the Russian one then automatically exclude you from travel? So it's a very, uh, it's a very slippery slope that we're uh, approaching here. Some people would say that a slippery slope argument is a logical fallacy. I disagree if the slippery slope makes sense, which I feel it does. Right, because there's the there's the China vaccine that that I know people here in the Middle East are getting. There's the Sputnik vaccine. There's the the one that's in America that's this RNA vaccine that there's a lot of skepticism around. And there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of question of whether you can still get COVID after you get the vaccine. And now I know they're talking about the UK where you can mix and max match vaccines. Is that, yeah. is that safe? Um, is yeah. it safe to get all four, five of the vaccines that end up coming out? And you, you make an interesting point in your article about the, the power of the passport where yeah. whatever country is kind of aligning with like countries have aligned with the United States. And because of that, with my American passport, I can get into a lot of countries, like you said, pretty much no questions asked yet mm -hmm. in other nationalities, because they don't have that same power alignment, aren't able yeah. to freely enter borders of some countries. And, and you're making the argument that it could be the same thing that some countries could align with Russia and Russia could not let people in with the whatever vaccine. Well, yeah, uh, because I included in the article a uh, link to um, the, basically the overall breakdown of where Russia is sending their vaccine to. And not surprisingly, it's sort of this Eurasian Eastern world. It's mm. not going to Canada. It's not going to uh, France. It's, uh, you know, China, although they have their own, as you mentioned, uh, India, uh, where else? Kazakhstan, a lot of the former Soviet Union, but, uh, you know, some very large population centers, but it's really that sort of, again, this east-west uh, divide that we're seeing. Uh, very much you'll see in a lot of things, um, even with like sometimes social media, you'll see there's a big divide between sort of this, uh, the realm of the West and the Golden Billion. Uh, the weaker countries of the global south and sort of whatever you'd want to call Eurasia, the global east, right? Because even with like, uh, for example, Facebook, 
Uh, Facebook is all over the West. It's really the dominant, you know, social media platform. And it, that goes through to South America and Africa because they sort of don't really have much of a choice, right? They've had it sort of enforced on them. But then when you get to Russia and China, the map of the world looks different mm-hmm. uh, because the Chinese have their own, the Russians have their own, which dominate. And to a degree, the Russian social media networks do extend over their old borders and into some other places within the sort of Eurasian zone. So even things that seem kind of silly still follow this model of being very much broken into sort of a uh, Western world, a Eurasian, Eastern, Central world, whatever you want to refer to it as, and the global South. So and with, so vaccines, are it's, it's no different. So with you the slippery I mean? slope, Absolutely that, no different. with the slippery slope that you're talking about and, and how it's these vaccines, it's no different. My the, the the logical conclusion, if your argument continues to hold water as yeah. the months progress, if the world really does move this way, it really could be a, a more difficulty to travel due to there being vaccines out right now to travel. Yeah. Nor, mo, some countries, they require whether a, a negative covid test prior to departure, maybe one on arrival and another after two weeks. That's what some of these Gulf countries yeah. Are doing, and that it, it's difficult. It's uh, cumbersome, but it's not. Hey, you have the wrong vaccine. Sorry, you can't come to our country until you get the Sputnik vaccine. Sorry, well, that, well, that, yes, that, that they don't a, give that one in America. Today. Yes, as it stands today. Uh, what I was to, again in my article, this is a projection of what could happen in the future, uh, because this sort of Russophobic paranoia that's uh, uh, grown, especially in English-speaking countries, has become very silly. And I do think that at some point it's going to escalate into a very, very high level of uh, silliness. Uh, like I said, the BBC already is trying to cast all sorts of doubts on the quality of the Russian uh, vaccine. And, uh, you know, if uh, a lot of things from Russia don't uh, let me put it this way. If you get a, a doctor's uh, you know, medical degree in America, you can practice medicine in Russia. If you mm. get a medical degree in Russia, you can't practice medicine in America. And it's uh, probably going to follow the same suit. I really, with how much um, uh, the disintegration of American and Russian relations have happened over the last 10, 15 years, it's really hard to believe that the, especially people with this technocratic, bureaucratic mentality in the British House of Parliament, in uh, Congress in Washington, are really just going to say, oh, yeah, everything in Russia is just as good as what we have. They're exactly the same. No problem. Come on in. Come visit. It's going to be great. Uh, fill out your visas and come on over. Have a good time, guys. I, I really doubt that. That's not the way their mentality is. Uh, no, I could see not. it maybe slipping under the radar because they're maybe not thinking of it. But I really don't see it as being consistent with their attitude towards uh, everything related to Russia. So now, as you say, this is a projection, but it's a pretty pessimistic yeah. uh, projection of where we're going. I mean, in my mind, that makes me want to travel less. Is mm-hmm. is there hope that we won't actually go? Is Is there hope that people will essentially rise up and say, no, we don't want to go down this path. I mean, for example, we're already seeing in France where where they made the suggestion of, okay, well, people won't be able to, you don't have to get the vaccine, but people won't be able to use public transport or some public areas or travel mm. if they don't have the vaccine. And there is a, a large public pushback. Um, is Do you think it's possible that we might see that same thing happen um, on kind of this global scale? Well, if here, here, here's a question. Push, like, some, uh, digital... I know some people hate when you answer a question with a question, but I think this is relevant. Do you think 
that 10,000 people would ever get together to clean my local park. Yeah, sure. Randomly on one weekend. I'll just sort of on their your own. local park, not like a just just the you one down be a national park. I mean, I mean, on their own, randomly, just one weekend, 10,000 people show up to clean up uh, not some likely. Park somewhere. Not I mean, not randomly. Someone would have to organize it and, and really ah, put some legs behind it. Yes, <laughs> there you go. Because one thing is uh, there's a uh, I've watched a lot of your videos, by the way, to sort of uh, get prepared. And um, I, I don't, this isn't, this isn't, uh, don't take this as an insult, but I believe you fall into a little bit of this trap that people have that um, people need to stand up and people don't stand up. They're stood up. It's really, mm. things are very much organized. People don't just sort of randomly do things. It's a lot of a question of organization. So the question is, is there someone who could do the organizing? Well, over the last, uh, again, 20, 30 years since the fall, fall of communism, uh, generally, most major anti-systemic protest movements in the Western world have utterly failed, uh, like, uh, you know, Occupy Wall Street uh, completely failed. The Yellow Vest protests have failed, uh, conti are continuing to fail and will continue to fail. Uh, the protests against, I believe, the Iraq war were some of the biggest in actually world history, although they're kind of kept quiet. Uh, have also ultimately failed. Uh, generally, uh, if you don't have the media backing, if you don't have the dollars and cents, then your protests don't matter. However, if you do have the media backing, mm -hmm. if you do have the money, then you could send 100 people to go protest somewhere and it'll change the nature of the way you live. <laughs> Look at the Maidan in Ukraine. 40,000 people determined the future of 40 million because those 40,000 had the media on their side and they had a cash flow from somewhere. Well, that's always up to debate where it came from. So the question we people could, but they generally won't. Unfortunately, uh, as we've learned from the 20th century, the main means of repression, some people would say coercion is the proper political term. I prefer repression. Uh, but the main means of coercion for our uh, political walk friends of the 20th century is comfort. Comfort breaks mm. us. Our lives, even if we're not allowed to travel, even if we have all these restrictions, our lives are still going to be very comfortable. The bottom of that Maslow, uh, Mas wait, I can't remember how to say it in English. Maslow's peer. Yeah, Maslow, right? Maslow. However, Maslow uh, in Russian, Maslow's pyramid uh, is going to be met and people are just going to tolerate it. People have are going to are very tolerant uh, of a lot of things, especially when there's no one to organize them, uh, because their people do not just stand up and act. That is not the way human beings function, and it's never happened in history. And I think that's a, I think that's an accurate criticism of of some of my footing and positioning. And I also think it's an, an accurate view of the world that you know people need to be organized, and without a media backing and without a financial backing. Um, you, you can mm. protest all you want, you can stand up all you want, but it probably won't get very far. Um, but you, you also said, and I also agree, as long as that, that bottom of the pyramid is being met, that comfort level is being met, which is, as you aptly put, is the, the means of coercion in 2021. Mm. Uh, are you saying that you see kind of the, the way that history is moving right now, it doesn't look as if this will change. It doesn't look as if people are just going to drop kind of the, you know, the, the, whether it's the, the passport, the vaccine passport, or whether it's UBI or whether it's kind of some of these new kind of socialistic yeah. pushes in the world. Are you saying that might be here to stay for a generation unless 
something radically well, shifts. Especially if you're talking about the Western world. Um, uh, I think about half of the people I know are for uh, that sort of uh, what they'd call the socialist agenda. Yes. So about half the population uh, welcomes it with open arms. Whether you yes. see it as good or bad is uh, up to you. So uh, that's uh, one issue. The other issue is, well, how many people do you know? Now, uh, we also have to understand that although protests kind of look like a fight with the police, uh, as someone who's been punched in the face many times and gotten hit by all sorts of objects over the years, I can tell you that it does take bravery to fight in this sort of fist fight scenario. It does take a lot of gumption. And the average person does not have it. The average person is not going to step up and try to defend their honor with their fists. Even less people are going to stand up when the bullets are flying. Okay. Mm. And how many people do you know? Who are going to when they have, you know, food and the Internet and decent lives and a lot no. of comfort are going to stand up and they are going to fight the system, even if they go to jail or get shot in the process. Virtually no one. Although surprisingly, and interestingly, uh, it's amazing how well men will march into machine gun fire, given the structure of like some sort of army. Uh, so there are ways that essentially we can sort of uh, rise above uh, our um, uh, default condition. and But that's one of my criticisms of why I'm not against individualism. We're all individuals. We all have a life. We all have a first, middle, last name. Well, some of us don't have a first, middle, last name, but we have some sort of name. Uh, you know, and there is a value to the individual. But as we see, to a degree, individualism uh, really that we've experienced in the West has created a cage for us, a mm. cage of comfort, a cage of isolation, a cage of um, uh, sort of compartmentalization from atomization. There's the word atomization uh, in society. And that is the most effective means of repression that we will ever, ever see that we've seen thus far. You're alone. You're comfortable. You will do nothing. Not you specifically, but you, the royal you, excuse me. Yeah, because everyone's caring about themselves. And if, if they're taken care of, if their needs are met, if they're comfortable, then why would you stick your neck out if, um, you know, you can just hide in the system? Uh, to, to a large extent, yes. And that's why, uh, in some ways, people can scream, we need to stand up and someone has to do something. Well, to be honest, uh, I think the, the one thing that we, we we should learn is if we're against what's happening now is, in a lot of ways, uh, the elite, a lot of the wealthy have been convinced of a certain worldview. And there are people like, we'll take, for example, our good old uh, friend, uh, George Soros. What if, uh, although some people say he might be actually psychopathic or have mental problems, and that's where his worldview comes from. Let's just exclude that. Let's just say he's reasonable. He's not insane. Sure. Um, if he would have had maybe different life experiences, if someone could have convinced him to have different views of what he should do, if he really wants to be this influential person, this, uh, uh, as they call him in, uh, call in Russia, uh, a gray cardinal that stands in the background overseeing things, he could be overseeing a much more pro-human transformation of society with his money and his ability to organize Correct. things, but he doesn't. Correct. So in some ways, it would actually be better if <laughs> if we were able to convince, I don't know, the, the, hypothetically, to be silly, like the Walton family to have a, a more of a big moral say, because it's really the elite that pushes where the political direction goes, because it was the elite in their, you know, French salons and in their readings that was reading about the uh, Enlightenment ideas 
that came to be during the American War of Independence and the French Revolution. They were the ones who were really excited by that. Ironically, even people like um, Catherine II in Russia was a huge fan of Enlightenment reading, despite the fact she didn't practice any of it. And ultimately, the Enlightenment is what killed the czars and the royalty of Europe, right? So it, and again, with Marx too, Marx was this thing to be talked about in salons between these sort of, mm, uh, um, ironically, by the bourgeoisie themselves, yeah. who felt sorry for us. <laughs> Us, uh, idiots at the bottom. And then it only happened, it came to be after Marx was already long dead. So in a lot of ways, uh, it sounds insane. It sounds uh, counterproductive or like I'm trying to, I don't know, gatekeep or something. But it's really a matter of trying to convince the elite that this anti-human, uh, postmodern uh, fantasy world that we are being shoved towards is not the key to happiness. It's not the world we want to live in. And in fact, we can even see that demonstrably it doesn't, it just doesn't even function. We can't have kids anymore. Mm. <laughs> we can't, we can't even create more human beings the good old fashioned way. Uh, society is really melting down in that sense. Uh, so yeah, so that, uh, again, sounds a bit insane probably to some people, uh, but to be honest, uh, that is really what controls the flow of history. And that's another problem with our individualism. We have a certain arrogance that it's me, I'm the individual, uh, uh, we have democracy. I own the country. You don't own anything. You're a serf like I am. Uh, we're at the bottom. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that the, the Lord, the Lord is beholden to the serfs as well, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. And it's really the lords that determine where the country goes and where the uh, fiefdom, fiefdom, however you want to pronounce that, goes as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I see what you mean. And I think I think you're right in that. You're right in that, you know, most of us, we're just at, at the bottom. And how much can one person do? But at, yeah. the, at the same time, the, the other side of that coin is uh, Havel's Green Grocer, where there, where there is this if and the thing about Havel's Green Grocer, it it wasn't that one grocer decided not to put up the propaganda in in his essay Power to the Powerless, but it was that if there was an organization, so it's to your point that if there was this organization where everyone decided not to put up their posters to continue to live out the lie that they don't believe, then something mm. could happen. But it's to your point that there needs to be a, a collective organization, and and that is very difficult, especially. When there is that atomization of individuals yeah. um, isolating and just taking care of their own. So, Tim, I, I think we're out of time for today, but I want to thank you for being on the show. If there was oh. one action point, one takeaway that that you could give the audience of, you know, to your point, it's like, well, when was the last time 10,000 people randomly showed up at the local park to clean it? Um what would be your one piece of kind of thought or action to take away from this conversation? Uh, it would be that uh, very soon uh, the world may actually become a little bit more divided, more like the way it was during the Cold War. Uh, we're seeing on um, the Internet, we're seeing with these possible vaccine passports, uh, more firewalls, more division. In fact, uh, we were started talking over LinkedIn. LinkedIn is blocked in Russia because they refuse to put uh, Russian user, keep Russian user data on Russian servers, which is against the law here. Uh, we are not seeing really globalization like the one we promised we're going to all come into one happy utopia. And the real theme of this article is this is yet another 
uh, sort of factor leading towards a more multipolar, bipolar sort of uh, world that's a lot more divided than it seems. And uh, we're far away from the Star Trek style utopia that uh, is promised us. I think that's one of the underlying things in the article that I didn't really mention. I just kind of inferred. Uh, so why not say it really blatantly right now? Uh, guys, get ready. The world's going to maybe possibly close up into some big chunks, and you're going to be on one side of the line or the other. Hopefully I picked the right side. Well, Tim, thank you so much. Your The link to your article is in the show notes. And where can people find you on the World Wide Web? Okay, well, probably the most important thing about the serious side of my life. I uh, Unfortunately, like we said at the beginning of the program, I do a lot of stuff. Uh, you may not really uh, sense it from this conversation, but I've been a comedian on the radio. I actually play pro-American football in the Russian League, so I'm actually at my <laughs> gray-haired awesome. age. I'm actually a pro-athlete for the moment until I break my legs or something. That's awesome. Uh, I do a lot of stuff, but about this uh, more serious uh, political stuff, strategic hyphen culture.org. It's got the little, you know, hyphen in the middle there, strategicculture.org. If you look for contributors, there's me, Tim Kirby. Sharing the links is uh, probably not going to help that much because we are banned on most uh, Western media, like now almost all Russian media is getting banned over and over and over again because anything that comes from Russia is the devil, including maybe the Sputnik V vaccine in the opinion of the West. Uh, so you have to kind of look for me now. Unfortunately, I've been deplatformed. Uh, and uh, my writings, you basically, you have to hunt me down in order to read my writings. I would really recommend recently, I've written uh, two articles about the potential future of Moldova, which you may not, many, few of you may care about, but it's it's important because the things that are going to happen in Moldova probably have already happened in other former Soviet countries. So that's another fun prediction, but it's also a very dark, sad prediction uh, where a lot of people will die. So uh, another downer. Uh, there's very few, uh, unfortunately, very few positive political articles uh, from me. Well, that's encouraging, Tim. Thanks. Thanks for the encouragement today. But thanks for All the right. wise, wise words and warning. Thanks for being on the show. And thank you very much for having me. Don't go away. We will be right back with our Weaver and Loom segment. And welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a segment of the show where we take ancient wisdom, ancient quotes, and connect it with our everyday personal lives. And today's quote is, again, one of my favorites, which is, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. I felt this was such an appropriate quote, uh, considering today's episode where, where Tim shared that really it's the atomization of, uh, of culture, of hyper-individualization, where we have become so self-focused, so self-conceited, so, self so focused on me, myself, and I, what am, what's my purpose, my goals? And, you know, we talk about that here too, about how we as individuals have a responsibility to seek out truth. But one thing that Tim emphasized, and I'm glad that he did, is that there is also the corporate, there's also the communal aspect of this. And when we totally isolate ourselves, we are actually breaking out, we're throwing out all wise judgment, and we're just seeking our own desires. And in times like we are going to into, or could possibly, a prediction, according to Tim, that we could possibly go into, this is dangerous. 
it's dangerous to be so isolated that we're not connected with the needs of those around us. And that's the important thing. It's being not just connected for ourselves, but it's being connected for others because that is where we find purpose. Purpose is found not in fulfilling my purpose, but serving the purposes of others. Let me say that again. Purpose is found in not just serving ourselves and building our own kingdoms, but our purpose and meaning in life is found through connecting with others and serving the needs of those around us. Thank you so much for being with us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share this with a friend, WhatsApp it, text message, SMS. I don't know, do we even do SMS anymore? Regardless, share this with a friend. And remember, you are a person who goes out and seeks truth, who asks hard questions, just like Tim was asking hard questions today, all so that you can connect with your purpose, your meaning in life, your destiny so that you can fulfill it. So go out this week and own your future.